You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Lex Gillette is the current world record holder in the long jump, a four-time Paralympic medalist, a three-time long jump world champion, and an 18-time national champion. He is the only totally blind athlete to ever eclipse the 22-foot barrier in the long jump. Lex won his first Paralympic silver medal in the long jump at the 2004 Paralympics in Athens. He was 19 years old. Now, he is in Tokyo, planning to medal at his fifth consecutive Paralympic Games with his mantra, no need for sight when you have a vision. Lex, it's great to talk to you again. You too, you too. So um, let's let's talk about um, the sport of long jump. I know um, you have a, a unique uh, position and opportunity where, you're, where you compete in both track and field. Um, and, and I know we've, 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 we've talked about um, sprints before, but I wanted to at least have, focus today on on just the long jump portion of it. First, how did you get into you know wanting to long jump? I got into it in high school. So I had a, a a teacher, a TVI, a visually impaired teacher, and he noticed that I was pretty athletic. So we had a physical fitness test where you had to participate in a number of different activities. One of the activities was standing long jump. I just so happened to be good at that. And we took that, we took that, that knowledge and, and took it down to the track one day. And and that's when he began to show me everything about the long jump. So physically showing me the, you know, you have a, a stretch of track, a long runway that you, you run down. He showed me that there's a takeoff board in the ground. So that's where you, jump from that's a takeoff mark and then he showed me the sand pit itself so showing me the dimensions of it how wide it is and how long it is and uh and you know the sand you know everything about it um and that just that gave me the opportunity to to envision what was going on because by that point i had already i, w- I was i was blind so i, I couldn't see it and and definitely standing long jump is is a big difference between standing long jump and running long jump, right? Right. <laughs> oh yeah, and that's where my mind was when I had first started off. I was like, okay, you know, I'm gonna stand stand in one spot and jump. And so also, I was in uh, I was in public school. I stayed in public school, and I was probably one of five to ten blind or visually impaired kids in the in the entire school, and everyone else could see. We had about 1,500, 1,500 plus students at my high school. And uh, and I was one of the best jumpers in the entire school. I was the best in freshman class. I had the best mark in, in freshman class. And I was like easily in in like the top five in the in the entire school as a freshman. And so um I was thinking to myself that, oh, okay, you know, my my teacher, my visual impaired teacher, he just told me about the Paralympics and how it compete against people who are uh, blind and visually impaired, who athletes who have a, a physical disability, and I could potentially represent Team USA and win medals. And and 
at that time, I was like, you know what? We're all going to stand in one spot and jump. And I just got finished whooping up on a whole bunch of my side of peers, students in school. So if I have to compete against people who are blind, then I should be able to like crush them. And, uh, <laughs> and I was sadly mistaken. Well, two things I was sadly mistaken because number one, you don't, there's no standing long jump in the Paralympics. Mm-hmm. And number two, there's a lot of fantastic athletes out there around the world who are, who are blind and visually impaired. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it was certainly a, a learning curve for me going from standing and then learning to run and then jump. And, and you talked about, uh, so how long is the the runway or, you know, in, in the, in a competitive, um, you know, match or activity, is it, a, a, I'm, I'm assuming it's a certain length, right? That's a good question. I, I think that they vary from, from venue to venue. Oh, but what, st- what, but what stays pretty consistent across the board for jumpers is that everyone has their own individual approach and you determine that with your, with your coach, um, you base it off of how much, how many steps that you need to build the right amount of speed to jump as far as you can. And also within that, you want to make sure that it's an approach that is that's comfortable and you don't feel like you're running too far. You don't feel like you need to you know, add on some more steps. So everyone determines what their approach is going to be. And everyone measures their approach with a, you know, there's, there's markers on the ground or you may have a tape measure. Um, and so you, you literally tailor that runway to the exact amount of steps that you need. And you, uh, once that runway approach has been set, then you're wanting to make sure that you're covering that amount of distance and getting onto that takeoff board so that you can um, have the the most amount of of distance possible. And um, so you may have an athlete like myself, my approach is 16 steps and that's usually around 34 and a half meters. You may have another athlete who takes 18 steps and their approach may be 41 meters. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it differs from athlete to athlete. So circling back to your the original question about how long the runway is, I'm not sure if there is a standard length for all of them, but it, you know, it, it, I, I would, I would think that it has to be a significant, um, you know, amount of real estate so that athletes can, can uh, have the, the adequate amount of real estate. And so for you, since you mentioned it's, it's 16 steps and, and 34 and a half meters, um, it, it, do you, uh, so if the, if the runway is longer, do you uh, just add, do you like build up to those 16 steps? Is there a process or do you stri- uh, wit- widen your, your um, stance, I guess, between each, each step? I'm just, I'm just curious about your process. Yeah. And- oh. No, that's a good question. So for if the runway is longer, then I just won't even worry about the extra real estate because I, I go from I, I do what they call is a uh, like a standing start. Hmm. So I start 
from that 34 and a half meter marker that's that we put on the track. And I know that when I'm at that mark, um, I can, uh, you know, there's, there's a certain routine and a certain rhythm that I have when I run. So those first few steps are very like powerful, very strong, trying to drive out as hard as possible. And as I continue to maneuver down the runway, then I transition to that up tall running position. And once I get to my 16th step, then I should be in the, in the right position. So a lot of, you'll hear a lot of athletes, a lot of jumpers and, you know, and a lot of athletes in general, it's a certain type of feeling and a certain type of, of rhythm that you get into. And so specifically on the jumping side, you want to make sure that that pattern is, is, is very, um, you know, it aligns with how you practice um, and it aligns with how you practice because you want to make sure that you're um, like, you're running hard, but you also want to make sure that you're not running so hard that you won't be able to, to put your leg down to jump. Um, Cause there's certainly a such thing as, uh, you know, getting out of control. And in that type of event, you want to make sure that you're in control so that, so that you can get some really good marks out there. Um, but I have a standing start. You may have athletes who have a, like a walk-in. Um, so one of my, one of my good buddies, we were, we just actually had a competition recently. Um, Ezra Freck. I don't know if you know, Ez. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, awesome, awesome athlete. And so um, I noticed that he kind of has like a walk-in, like a walk-in start. What that means is that you have maybe, and it differs from athlete to athlete, so not specific to him, but you may have a walk-in where you take one step, two step, three step, four step. And once they get to their fifth, Boom. That's when they take off. <laughs> so they're not having a uh, like a, 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 a start where they're just starting from um, uh, just, you know, like ground zero, if you will. They're just, you know, it's like a static start. Mm -hmm. um, and when you have that walk in, a lot of athletes like to walk in because it's, you know, you're you're already moving. You're beginning to move. And then from there, you you know, you explode into your run. So it's a gradual type of uh, um, process in that, that beginning stage uh, to get yourself going. And, uh, and so for athletes who have those, then they have to account for that. And in the long jump, you're able to use two markers on the track. So for me, I have the one marker that marks that 34 and a half meters. Mm -hmm. If someone has a walk-in, they might have a, a marker for where they need to start their walk. And then they'll place that second marker at the location where they need to start their sprint. So they can see those things and they can align, um, you know, they can make sure that, okay, I'm coming up to the second marker. Boom, I'm at that step, boom. And then they can begin their run. Um, so 
You know, it, again, it just it differs from athlete to athlete. I think the athletes who are totally blind, I don't think that they use the walk-in approach. I haven't experienced much of them um, who use that approach. Uh, there could be some out there, but uh, for for those who, you know, for us who can't see anything, it's like, all right, well, let's let's start with the, uh, you know, let's have we have the one marker and we know that it takes us you know, X number of steps. And we're going to do the start to uh, stop to start approach and um, and just make it happen that way. And and the marker for for those that um, are able to see is, you know, probably just a little marker on the on the track or the side of the track. What about for uh, blind athletes like yourself? Um, is it a, um, is it a coach that just is your marker or, or is it a sound or, you know, t- for those that are listening and, and interested in, in, you know, understanding that process, tell, tell us yeah. about that. That's a great question. So they are, there, there are similar markers and it's just this physical object that you can stick into the track. And I actually had a, a this is a side note. I had a conversation with, um, our high performance director one time and had asked her to, in one of the, um, you know, and the, they usually have a, a meeting each year where all of the director directors get together, have a meeting of the minds. And so I was suggesting that they come up with some markers that are flat, uh, that are, you know, say a piece of tape or, or something that's that's flat to the ground because the the current markers <clears throat> in the past, they've had the ones that they um you know, they protrude from the ground. And so mm-hmm. for the athletes who can't see those things, that could be, be a potential hazard. Somebody step on those and, and just so happen to, uh, I don't know, twist an ankle or just something could happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it is a physical marker that you put on the ground. Since you have a guide who's assisting you, they're probably the ones who put the, the marker down so that they know how to line you up when, when it's your turn to get on the runway. And so, uh, is it, and so it's a verbal, like when you reach that marker at 34 and a half meters, you have a guy, your, your guy give you some, um, verbal command. Yeah. So the guy will, he'll physically walk you to that start mark. Okay. So you don't have to go out there and find it yourself. So he'll, he'll accompany to you to that start mark and make sure that, that you are in line with that starting mark. And then they'll jog down to the takeoff board or wherever they position themselves. And that's when they begin to give you the, the verbal call so you can start your run. And, and you talked about the uh, takeoff board. So um, walk us through, you know, the, the board and, and, you know, what it, what it's like, what it feels like. No. Um uh, what is considered a fault, you know, obviously like, uh, in terms of if there's a, uh, if you pass it or a certain portion of your body passes it. Uh, and then maybe even the third question. So I'm throwing three questions at you, Lex, <laughs> um, is, you know, I'm, uh, do you, ha- obviously you probably have a certain foot that you launch from, uh, or a certain, and so talk about those three. Yeah. Um, I'll tackle the first one. So your takeoff leg again, I think that's, um, I think that most times your takeoff leg is going to be the if you're right-handed you'll you'll most likely long jump off of your left leg if you're left-handed you'll most likely take off of your right leg. Hmm. Um, 
there might be some times where, uh, you know, that might not be the case, but I, I'm fairly sure that's, that's how it goes. But when you think about it, um, you know, it's your, it's your plant leg. So if you're playing kickball or kicking a football or a soccer ball or something, then if you're right-handed, you're most likely going to plant with your left and kick with your right and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So when you propel from the ground and jump off of the ground, you're going to lead with that, with that dominant leg, that plant leg. And, uh, and so for me, it's, it's my left leg. I'm right-handed. So I jump off of my left. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's the, the most comfortable, um, technique for, for most people. Um, and the, uh, the board you have the takeoff board where in most rules in, in, yeah, in most rules, the athlete has to jump from that board. I'm not sure what the dimensions are. Um, that's a, that's an easy Google search. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, so there's a, you know, the board is, is a certain dimension and you want to get to the, as close to the edge of that board as possible without stepping onto the, the fault line. And so by that, I mean, you don't want your toe to cross over the front edge, the leading edge of that board. If you do that, then it's a foul and the jump doesn't count. For us in the T11 category, the totally blind athletes, our board is a meter big and they layer it with a, um, it could be like baby powder or some sort of um, uh, like, powdery substance that I'm assuming is white. And so when we jump, we have to take off from that zone. We land in the sand. They measure from our toe mark to where we land inside of the sand pit. Um, So we don't have to worry about, there's probably not as much emphasis on getting as close to the edge of the board because they're going to measure from where that footprint is. Okay. Takeoff area. Um, but all of the other rules apply. So if you do just so happen to step beyond that powdered zone, that takeoff zone, it's a foul. If you, let's say you jump from behind the board, the farthest edge away from the, the long jump pit, if you jump from behind it, then they're going to measure from that back edge of the board. So, so, um, and the reason being is because that's the takeoff zone. So you have to be somewhere within that zone. And if you're not, then they're just going to measure it from that back edge of the board to where you land in the sand pit. And that's not a good thing because if you're behind the board, then you're losing a lot of distance. Mm-hmm. And similarly on, you know, for the athletes who don't have that meter board, if they don't jump as close to that edge as possible, then they're going to lose some distance because the officials are always going to, in their case, the officials are always going to measure from the front edge of the board. 
So they want to make sure that they're as close to that edge as possible without, without scratching. And so for those that are, that are trying to figure out the sport, um, you know, one of the things that I think folks often are curious about is where do they, how do they determine your landing point in the sand? Is it, you know, where you're one of your feet or, you know, one of your feet land or your, your backside or, or, I mean, where, where do they, where do they measure from, from the, from the board to where? They're going to measure from the board to the, the portion of your body that is closest to the board. So if you jump and you extend your feet out and when you land, let's say you land in that, that, that L shape where your legs are, are directly in front of you, mm-hmm. they're not going to, they're not going to measure from where your feet are. They're going to measure from where your, from where your butt is. Because mm, okay. that's the closest portion to, to the board, which is why it's so important for the jumpers to all like to keep everything forward. There's been athletes who have unfortunately lost competitions because they'll land and for whatever reason, let's say they just uh they um you know they they lean back mm-hmm. and that causes them to put their arm back and their hand lands in the sand because they're trying to catch and trying to brace themselves. And so now, before you put that hand down, the mark was going to be where your butt was. And then when you put that hand back, now that's going to be where that mark is because that's the farthest, that's the closest thing to the takeoff board. And so you lose a lot. You could lose a lot of distance that way. In fact, I lost, there was a competition where I lost out on a world record. This was, uh, this was 2015. And we have to, we have the bib numbers on the front and back of our jerseys. Mm -hmm. You have the safety pins that secure those to your jersey. And for whatever reason, I was like sweating and the bibs were, they weren't um, as sturdy as they have been in the past. And, and uh, you know, you have those, those holes in, in the four corners of the bib, you put those safety pins in there and, and that bib is, you know, it's getting saturated because of, um, sweat, et cetera, et cetera. And you're out there and you're running as, as hard as possible. There's, there's a possibility that those holes can rip. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what happened to me. So I'm, you know, I'm competing, I'm, I'm amped up and, and I get out there. I have this one jump It's huge. And, uh, and mind you, the world record is 6.73 meters. I have the world record. And uh, <laughs> at this competition, so so wait a minute. You already you already had the world record, and you were and you were close to beating your world record. Yes. So this. <laughs> so I was in the competition. I'm running. I'm running. I'm running. I jump, <clears throat> land in the sand. While I was running, the bib had the. So you have the the top two safety pins and the bottom two safety pins. Mm-hmm. The top, the bottom two had ripped from the holes in the bib. So as I was running, it was almost like a like a like a dog door flapping. Yep. And and, uh, and when I landed in the sand, my my body landed. I was good. I I probably leaned back just a little bit because mm-hmm. I was trying to you know extend my legs out in front of me. My bib was detached at the bottom, 
and it swiped the sand. No, <laughs> oh my goodness. And, and so that became my mark. And that mark was, it was 6.73 meters. So had the, had the bib stayed attached to my jersey, we can assume that that probably would have been, that would have been a new world record. And um, it was crazy because I remember my guide, he said he was looking like, why are y'all marking? He was like, why are y'all marking that? And the officials were like that. His bib hit the, uh, hit the sand and the bib is considered a part of your body. Mm, mm. So <laughs> you got to make sure like, you got to make sure all of that stuff is, 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 uh, is right and tight. Um, but it's like, what can you do in those types of situations? You just got to. Cause that was at least an inch, if not more, right. Probably a couple of inches. Have to imagine. So yeah, I would, I would think so. <laughs> oh, my, oh my goodness so the yeah. bib, who who knew that the bib is part of the body bib and these are the things you have to think about right bib is a part of your body so um long story short yeah you have to make sure that you keep everything forward because you don't want to be in one of those positions where um you lose out on on distance so i so i would think you know and i'm just remembering when i was like in school you know, younger and in school and it would jump. The natural thing obviously is to use your arms, you know, as kind of a, a protection or a, or it's just a natural reaction. So how, how difficult was it for you at least, or maybe for folks in general to think about, you know, putting your arms out in front of you? Cause I know that I believe, you know, I've seen lots of, uh, I've seen some video of you and, and you just kind of put a, your, your arms out, like not straight out right when you when you're when you once you launch yeah and yeah. Is that, that's not natural i would imagine um probably i think once you get into uh once you get in the air and and you know you propel yourself forward it's a in the beginning it's definitely it's, it's something that's out of the comfort zone so it feels awkward but after a while you you get accustomed to it because that's a part of the technique and it's mm-hmm. like, all right, let me extend my legs. And let me also, you know, let me, let me make sure that my, when I start, my arms are, you know, up. And then when it's time for me to land, they come forward and, and sweep through. Um, and the sweep through is, is helpful in making sure that you can propel your body forward and you can reduce the like, you know, the reduce the chances of, of, uh, you know, falling backwards or, or again, losing some distance because you had to put your hand back to brace your, to help support you. Um, so it's definitely, uh, you know, it feels unnatural in the beginning, but with everything you, you continue to work at it and, and, and understand how it helps you in the long run. And, uh, yeah. And it, you know, it helps you do what you need to do. Obviously, Lex, with the success that you've had, um, and you know, as we, we've talked about, of course, world records and and uh, some of your other accomplishments, how do you train to get better? You know, if you've already uh, reached a certain level, I mean, what do you, what do you work on to say I can I can be better than that? I can I can um, you know ad- advance the 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 jumping length even even more. How, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of it is a lot of the a lot of the jumpers train like sprinters. 
So long jumpers, triple jumpers, um, you'll it's it's very common that they be good sprinters also. Um, you know, and you know the the sprinting piece is going to help you jump far. The more speed that you can bring down the runway, and the more that you can control it, the farther your jumps should be. And um, so you work on running faster. You work on those first few steps when you're trying to, to drive as fast as, you know, drive out and be strong and powerful with those first few steps. You, you get better in the weight room. You start lifting more weights. You do the Olympic lifts, the squats and the power cleans and the, and the snatches and, you know, whatever else that comes along with it. You do the drills where you're doing box jumps and, and different jump, jump drills. You're doing the, um, the double leg hops forward and the double leg hops backwards and the double leg hops mm -hmm. from left to right and doing single leg jumps, you're jump roping, you're, um, you're strengthening your ankles and your toes. And I mean, you're, you're literally doing everything that you can to make sure that your legs and core are, are very strong. You're wanting to make sure that you have a lot of speed and, um, and you're also wanting to make sure that you hit the right positions when you when you are on the runway. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you're you're making sure that your your runway has a has a nice pattern and a nice rhythm to it. And and by the time you get to the long jump board, you want to make sure that you're up tall and that you're putting yourself in the best the best position to uh, jump far. And when you take off from the ground, you want to make sure that you uh you drive that that off leg that free leg so that you can get a really good a really good takeoff and use that momentum from the run and then from there it's uh you know making sure that you depending on what your technique is while you're in the air you might see some people do that like that hitch kick where they're kind of you know they it's like they're running in the air you have some people who um, <laughs> like hang and hold. Um, and, you know, those things are just based on, uh, you know, preference and, and what athletes want to do or feel like feel like they need to do to get the, the best jumps. Um, so, yeah, it's doing those types of things and, and just making sure that um, outside of that, you're doing everything that you need to do to stay um you know, healthy, doing the stretching and, and, and making sure that you're resting and recovering. And, and I think another thing too, is, you know, even though you jump, your coach will probably enter you into some, some sprint races at the beginning of the season. So again, they can make sure that, that you're bringing the right amount of speed when it's time to put it on the runway. And and I guess that's that, that's a good explanation why you know many athletes like yourself even uh, also compete in both sports, right? So and you mentioned Ezra, so Ezra I know I know does both. You do both, and a number of other athletes do both. So that makes sense. Yeah. And let's go back a little bit. So I know that you talked about high school, and that's how you first uh, you know when you when you first when, when you did the, your first standing jump. Um, what was what did you do uh, to re to get into the actual competition component? I mean, like, what was your journey and trajectory like in terms of, you know, some of the competitions that you entered? 
uh, uh, before, you know, getting to the, even the Paralympic level. Yeah, I was I was handcuffed to my visually impaired teacher. He he knew about all of those things. And so I just felt like I was very fortunate to be one of the ones who found out at an early age, given the fact that um, although Paralympics is 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 becoming more known, there's still a lot of areas and crevices within the states where people don't know anything about it at all. So you may find out about Paralympics when you're young and you might be one of the ones who unfortunately finds out about it when you're, say, 30 years old. And, and uh, you know, maybe you can participate in it and and, uh, you know, maybe maybe not. Um, so I, you know, I found out about it when I was 14 mm. and my teacher, he um, I want to say he had a master's in like adaptive sports and recreation. And um, and so he knew about a lot of those things. And 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 so I just leveraged him <clears throat> and he kind of set the framework for me and and told me about the games and he set up the the strategy by which we would compete. So, you know, he would stand at the takeoff board and he would clap and yell and let me know which direction I needed to run. And he took me to a sports camp in Kalamazoo, Michigan, which was, uh, it was a camp that was hosted by or sponsored by USABA. So the United States Association for Blind Athletes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I learned about a multitude of Paralympic sports and uh, also got into long jumping there. And that's, that's when I, I think I ran and jumped for the first time. That was pretty, it was pretty wild, pretty wild <laughs> experience. Um, but we had a, uh, like a competition there, um, a, a small competition at the end of the, the, the camp. And I won that competition, came back to North Carolina, the fire was lit for me and I joined my high school track team. And I'm pretty sure in the beginning stages, I'm pretty sure it was a little, a little interesting and, 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 uh, you know, uncomfortable at times because you're in this new space and I'm the only blind kid who's on the track and field team, probably the only blind kid within the conference. And, uh, and yeah, so you're, you're in this new environment in this new space. You're trying to figure it out and people are trying to figure you out and figure out how to help you. And, <clears throat> and so we, um, yeah, you know, I was, I was on the track team and we were lifting weights in the afternoon. I was, I was running with different people who were on the track team. So they served as guide runners for me when I would train. Um, once we started to get into competitions, it was, each competition was different. I was always focused on wanting to jump as far as possible. And, and within those times you would have certain kids on the opposing teams who were, who were, Oh man, you're, you're, you're here to compete. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think I'm here for? <laughs> and uh, so, you know, that, you know, definitely times where, the kids, um, you know, they, they were just very much like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is wild. There's, there's this person out here who's jumping. He can't see anything. And, 
And, um, you know, it was kind of, it was cool because there will be competitions where I'm pretty sure the kids wouldn't expect me to do much of anything. And I would go out there and jump as far as I did. And I would, I would beat a lot of kids. And so, you know, that's a, that's a real, uh, you know, that, that doesn't do well for your, for your self-esteem. Um, when you're, you know, you're sighted and you're losing to somebody who is, who's blind. So, uh, you know, I, I used to always get a, you know, in, internally, I got a little kick out of that. Um, but I think at a, at a young age, trying to uh, gain, trying to keep that fire lit, mm-hmm. that, that played a large part of it. It was like, man, I'm, I'm beating my contemporaries who can see. And, uh, you know, I was able to use that as, as, as motivation and, you know, it was, it was satisfying, but, um, and, and, yeah. And, and, and that's part of the, and that's part of the, I guess, prop problem. Maybe that's not the right word, but is that the expectations that they probably had of you just right. because you didn't have sight. Right. So, uh, and that's, I know that we, um, uh, in this space in the adaptive sports world, we, we confront that on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this, and it's totally, yeah. I mean, a problem, um, you know, the perception that people have is totally, you know, it's, it's, it's totally off a lot of times. And, and it's just, it's wild too, because even outside of just the context of this conversation, um, you know, in sports, you, you know, if you're on a team, you're another athlete, you probably are looking at, uh, you know, when you get to the competition, you're probably looking at everybody and sizing people up like, all right, you know, this, mm-hmm. this person is, you know, six foot eight, uh, you know, center in high school. Like, uh, how am I going to handle this? Or, <laughs> or if I am the six, eight person, like none of you guys can handle me. So I think there's like from a just just a human human uh, perspective. Just us as humans, I think there's something in our brains that just, you know, we're, we're measuring people. But unfortunately, when you think about it from, you know, adaptive sports and rec space, they're not sizing us up because of, um, you know, we may be super tall or we may be, um, you know, oh, man, like you just look fast. It's more along the lines of, oh, OK, well, they're they have this disability and, you know, that, are you going to be able to do this? How are you? Are you? How are you going to be able to do this? And I think that's where, uh, you know, a lot of the the changes need to happen, um, because you know it's, it's it doesn't have anything to do with the 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 disability at all. I mean, it's just right there and compete. And speaking of of just asking or just wondering, um, like how how do you you know how do you um, particularly in a long jump, focus on, on running straight. It's a lot of listening to your guide and and working with them on a daily basis to create that rapport and that, that muscle memory. Mm-hmm. So um, he will, he lines me up at the start mark. So he walks with me down to that start mark and sets me up, make sure that I'm in the middle of the runway jocks to the opposite end makes sure that I'm still pointed in the right direction as he, you know, as he's walking down. Cause you know, sometimes you're moving around and clapping your hands and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, um, he'll get back down there and, and make sure that 
that you are still straight. And from there, that's when he starts to, to call fly, fly, fly. And so I'm, you know, I'll first make sure that all right, I think that I have a really good idea as to where he's standing. I'm able to pinpoint where exactly he is. And and from there it's go time. You just have to be confident in that first step and make sure that you're following the sound of that voice and uh and at the right time at the right step get the uh get the jump in and Alexa, my, my last question for you is you know I, lo- I love your mantra you know no need for sight when you have a vision what is your vision for tokyo oh gold number one first and foremost to win gold the icing on the cake would be to get a, a Paralympic record and even more icing on the cake would be to not only get a Paralympic record, but a world record. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I, and I know you're active on social and I know you have your website. So I want to make sure that if folks want to just follow, you know, your journey up, up to up through Tokyo and beyond, obviously, you know, uh, what is your website and what social media platforms are you on? Yep. LexGillette.com. And I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, pretty active up there. So yeah, shoot me a, a, a note, comment. And um, yeah, I appreciate all of the support always. And we'll, we'll definitely be rooting for you. Thanks. Thanks so much, Lex, for, for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.